happy turn the clock back day. So much fun. And happy November. And happy we are finished with 1 Corinthians 15 today. Yeah, we're going to finish the last bit of it. I don't know if you've been tracking with me on this series, but I have been so encouraged. Um, There's been so much bad news. It's good to talk about good news. And so I want to give you, uh, we're going to get to that last verse I've been promising you. We're going to talk about verse 58. We're going to get there. But let me start by just reminding you where we have been. So we talked about the fact that the word gospel literally means good news. News as in some events that have happened actually took place on the planet. And those events are that Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, according to the scriptures. And that word Christ, remember, is the Greek word that we would understand to mean Messiah, anointed, And so it was Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures. In other words, God's plan is unfolding. And because of that, the world is different. And there is a glorious future ahead of us. And you and I, and we can invite other people to be a part of that. That's at the core of the gospel. And so... um, That's where we're going to continue. And and Paul, in talking about the resurrection, had to overcome some of the negative thoughts that the people of his day had. They didn't think that you would want to have a body back. And so he had to do a lot of effort to help them understand what this resurrection was about. And that's the section that we're in right now. And we'll pick up there. But before we get there, could you just ask the Lord to help you concentrate? Because I'm just going to put a lot of scripture up. We're going to go through it quickly. Um, till we get to that last verse and then spend some time there. But would you just ask the Lord to kind of tune everything else out and help you hear the word this morning, and then I'll pray for us. Father, your word is powerful. And there are times when we really can receive it, and there are times when we just are dead to it or just dull to it, I just pray you'd make us all sensitive to your word this morning, that we would respond as you want us to. We wouldn't just be hearers, but we'd be doers. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last time we talked, we left off with verse 44. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. So we know when people pass away, we we bury their bodies, and so it's sown, much like a seed, if you want to think of it that way. But when it's raised, it's raised differently. And remember, natural body is talking about the way we all are because we were born. Um, it doesn't just mean that we're physical beings. We also have a soul. There's an immaterial part of us. And so when it says, that's why it says, he goes back to um, the Genesis picture. And so he says, and also it says written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. And the last Adam, meaning Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. So he's trying to help us understand that in the resurrection, we have a different kind of body. It's not like the ones that we have now. So 
then he continues and says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So if you just think about it, our bodies get older and decay and, you know, get arthritic and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And how can you live for eternity like that? That doesn't work. Like you're going to need a different kind of physical being to dwell with God forever and ever. So that's why he says the perishable can't inherit the imperishable. And that's when he says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Remember, sleep is a code for death. So we're not all going to die. Some will be alive when Jesus returns, but we will all be changed. And there's not a verse for nurseries, you know, we will not all sleep. That's, it's not about that. It's about the fact that we are going to be transformed. Our physical bodies will be transformed to be a part of the eternal future that God has for us. Okay? So I want you just to think with me for a minute. In the past, in Adam, we have these natural capacities. God gave the world to Adam and Eve to rule and to reign, and sin entered the world, and so death and corruption happened. But Jesus came, and we are in, we are in time after Jesus has come, so new life is possible. Remember, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And so something has happened now that we can have the Spirit through faith and confidence in Jesus. We can be made new. That's the present. And there's this glorious future coming, and we get to be a part of that. We get to rule and reign with Jesus forever. And so then he continues, For this perishable must put on the imperishable, this mortal must put on the immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. We sang about that this morning. You know, I read you a poem from, or part of it from John Donne, where it ends with, death thou shalt die. Like, death doesn't win. It's kaput. It's done with. And so then he does this little poem, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think with me for a minute about the victory that has been accomplished for us. Sin no longer reigns. We don't have to sin. We can be set free from that. Death no longer reigns. We don't have to fear death. Jesus said, you're not going to see it. You're not going to experience it. Um, I've read... I read recently an article about very wealthy people investing in scientific research to extend life. Like they're wanting to pay scientists to, you know, work on our genes so that we can, you know, live like past 100 or, you know, even longer. And there's this desire to live, like not to die. And the truth is, we know the answer. Eternal life is available in Jesus. And so um, Paul just thanks God. The victory is through our Lord Jesus Christ. All three of those words have rich meaning. Lord as in ruler, as in king. Lord as in 
Jesus is in control. He told his disciples after the resurrection, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Whoever you think is running the world, there's someone else. I saw a bumper sticker this week that said, my king is in heaven. I like that, except I think he's also here too. So don't, don't think heaven is far, far away. So our Lord Jesus, that's the Greek form for you, Joshua, Yeshua, God saves. Think of Joshua taking people out of, um, you know, into the promised land. And then Christ, Messiah. So Jesus has won the victory. That's the gospel. What's needed to be defeated has been defeated. And Jesus is in the process of doing that. Remember, in the middle of this chapter, it's how Jesus is defeating all his enemies. The last enemy is death, and he turns the kingdom over to the Father. Okay, so here we are. We're at the final verse. Therefore, because of all of this, because of what God has done, because of what Jesus has done, because of the fact that we have been invited into eternal life, new life, therefore, my beloved brethren and sisters, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your toil is not in vain in the Lord. There has been an awful lot of fear rampant lately. And I feel like this chapter is exactly what we need because we have hope. If you pay attention to the themes and movies and literature, there's an awful lot of dystopian, you know, that's the opposite of utopian, a lot of dystopian themes, you know, books like The Hunger Games, you're like the world is just going to go crazy awful. We have low expectations of our ability and and we you know there's movies about needing to travel to other planets to survive the human race. We have no confidence in human ability to pull things off. There's lots of stories about that. And that speaks to, not about people really thinking some of that's going to happen, but it speaks to our mindset. But you and I know the truth. God wins. And so all the things that we do in connection to that have meaning and value and lasting worth. Your toil is not in vain in the Lord. When Jesus talked to his disciples, he told them that challenges were coming. He told them they were going to be persecuted. He told them they were going to have tribulation. There was a time when they're walking by the temple and the disciples are looking and showing Jesus, saying, look how awesome the temple is. Look at these stones, and look at how amazing this is. And Jesus says to them, it's all going to get torn down. And then they go, well, when? And he describes to them what's going to happen, and he says this very specifically. He says, see to it that you are not frightened. In the upper room, he said to his disciples, he said, do not let your heart be troubled. 
I heard this someplace, and I agree with it 100%. That is the most disobeyed instruction in the scriptures. How many of us have failed at that one on a daily basis? Yeah, I'll raise me up. We let ourselves get all bent out of shape and fearful, and Jesus gave us all these things not to make us afraid, but to give us hope. My sister, um, who listens to me sometimes on video, because she lives in Michigan, she sent me this. It's from a pastor. I don't know anything about the guy, so don't go looking for him. I'm not going to give you his name. But I love this. What if Christians' view of end times was centered on preparing for Christ rather than the Antichrist? Like, Jesus is coming back. What if we were centered on the mark of the Lamb rather than the mark of the beast? What if we were preparing on redeeming the earth rather than escaping it? Romans 8 says that creation is groaning, waiting for to be released into the freedom of the sons of God. Like, there's a future. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And what if it was centered on hope rather than fear? Um, when I was in, in, in college, between my freshman and sophomore year, I went to a training program in, uh, in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And then during the day, we worked. And I worked in a foundry. So I was a hot box operator. So if you know what foundries are, they pour metal into molds. And if you want it to be hollow, you have to put something in there to take up uh, space so that the thing that you mold isn't just solid. And so you put sand cores in there. What I, what I did was I used this machine that put the, made the sand cores that you put inside um, castings. And uh, it was hot because it was the summer, and it was a hot box. Like, it was hot. So um, about three or four weeks into the summer, the guy who was over my department, he comes to me and he says, you know, when I leave the area, you keep working. Like, that surprised him because I guess other people, like, as soon as the boss left, they just goofed off. It didn't occur to me not to work like I Maybe I'm dumb, but, you know, I just thought you're supposed to keep working. And so he just began to show me other things. While he was gone, I still worked. When Jesus was talking to his disciples about the future, he told a parable about a landowner who went away, and he left his servants in charge. And while he was away, what did they do? They goofed off. They beat the other servants. They just ran riot on stuff. And when he came back, he dealt with them. I want you to think about that with the verse we just read. Therefore, do be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. If we are anticipating Jesus to come back, let's be ready for it. Let's be found doing the tasks and the work that he has given us. So how can you prepare? Well, 
the first thing I want to encourage you to do is talk about the gospel. I mean, not just think about it. Talk about it with your family or with your life group. Explain it to one another. How do you explain the gospel that we just talked about to people? See, in a place like Lynchburg, people have probably heard something like the four spiritual laws, but they haven't necessarily considered the fact that Jesus, the actual implications of history, Jesus died and rose again. And he's coming back. And he's going to rule over everything. And you get to be a part of that. Think about how you would talk about that, how you would explain that to people. The gospel, it's, it's, not, it's not an insurance policy <laughs> against hell. It's not a ticket to some place that you just kind of put away in a safe place so you don't lose it. It's how we actually live our lives. So talk about it. And think about how you would explain it to someone else. Maybe preach it to yourself a little bit about the new life that we have in Jesus. Secondly, spend some time in prayer asking God, what is the work he's given you to do? You know, if you've listened to me for any length of time, you know I get, a, I get really upset about thinking that only pastors and missionaries are doing God's work. Like the rest of everybody else doesn't get to do it. That's just wrong. And and yes, when people come and like you serve in kingdom kids and do things like that, that's God's work. But so is helping your neighbor when they're in need. See, there's other things that matter. So when Israel was in exile, the prophets wrote to them because they wanted to be back in Israel. They wanted to be back in their land. And he, they said, no, it's not time. Settle down and seek the welfare of the city where you are. When you seek good for the people around you, that's a part of demonstrating the reality of the kingdom. What is the work that God has given you to do? It might be at your job. It might be in your neighborhood. It might be here, when we are gathered together, there's all different kinds of things that you do that matter to demonstrate the reality of the goodness in the kingdom of God. Um, and I just, I want to tell you this story. Um, I, I went to college with a guy who now works for OC. It's a, it's a, um, it's a uh, missions agency. And I got this email, and I just wanted to read this story because we forget about the power of the gospel. So um, this is from one of the people who works in their, in their group, and it's all disguised because of where they are. Solomon and his team are training new believers in a region where Christians were martyred just three years ago. Apparently, one of the training participants, we will call him Mark, had a brother amongst those martyred. Mark had become a follower of Jesus like his brother, so he fled to a neighboring country. As a Muslim background believer, Mark feared for his safety. In fact, Mark had traveled back to his home region just to attend this training, but he did not know that two of the men who killed his brother were also attending the training. The intense time began when he just entered the room and the two men acknowledged him. Solomon said, tears broke out from the two men as this guy was fuming with anger and urgency of wanting revenge. The training was put on hold to sort out this hot issue. Mark, the man I have known as peaceful, 
honest and strong in faith, confessed that he was filled with anger and strong will to make these men suffer just like his brother. Solomon said it took all night to try to calm the group. The killers begged for Mark for forgiveness from Mark. One of the murderers made this confession. I understand what I did was wrong. I have no excuse. I have nothing to pay equal to the loss, pain, and sufferings you have passed through. But after your brother's death, God touched my soul as he did with you and your late brother. I believe in Jesus Christ now. I am a new man. The killers offered their own lives, and after some time, Mark decided to leave the training. It was impossible to convince him to stay, one of the trainers said. He left about 3 a.m. Then, at 6 a.m. this morning, he showed up again. Mark testified how God spoke to him to learn the power of the cross. Mark said, Holy Jesus spoke to him and forgave him. He said he had no choice but to forgive these men and learn how to treat them as brothers. Solomon told me that Mark sat with the men who had killed his brother and joined in the training. They all shared testimonies about difficulties they had encountered since choosing to follow Jesus. So the guy who's writing this to, um, to Dick says, we prepared a lot, but we are now facilitating something we had not planned. We are allowing the Spirit to lead. See, that's what you and I are caught up in. That's what you and I are involved with. We have got to stop letting fear lead us to hate and anger and need to realize that we have joy because of the kingdom of God and we can love people. We're never told to hate people. We're told to hate evil. That's a totally different thing. We're called to love people and be a part of what God is doing to transform the world. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us walk with you in fresh newness and hope of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And then the last point was, don't be frightened. Make a prayer list and pray about it. Work out your fear. Don't be afraid. It is not a holy thing.